Thanks, worship team. Let's give them a hand. That's, that's a lot of work. And that was a cool, that was a cool song, the, the first one, The Abide in Me. Good job, whoever wrote that. Was that like a collective effort or was, or this, it was Aaliyah. Okay, good job, Aaliyah. Nicely done. Thanks for sharing that with us. Well, uh, welcome. My name's David, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here, and it's a joy to be here. And a chance to speak with you all. Welcome back from break. Yes? Yes? Are you excited? Eh. Good time, SSI. Let's shout out for SSI. Woo. All right. Are we ready to do SSI here? Right? It's always easy to go somewhere else where nobody knows you, but then you come back here. Right? And that's, that's the mission is here. Right? The mission is now, it's here. Um, and so whether you went on SSI, or you went home, or you stayed in Bellingham, or if you just walked around the campus lonely, waiting for your classes, you know, the mission is now. So we're going to jump in, all right? Um, and you know what? It was cool. Thanks to those of you who are sharing the testimonies of what God was doing through you. It was so good. It's so, you know, on our trip, Columbus State, woo-hoo, little Columbus State. It was just exciting to see what God was doing in students, through students. Great. It's just things that get you excited. And so it's good to celebrate um, and get excited. Um, one of the things I really like about being a campus pastor is getting to feel the excitement, the energy of youth in Jesus, right? That just, it keeps me young. I'm actually 104, but you, but I'm just young because you guys, your excitement is so awesome to see you get pumped up for Jesus, come back from these trips excited, um, and seeing what God's just exploding in your life is just, it gets me super excited. So now having said that, having said that, I want to tell you what really gets me excited, because I'll be honest with you, it's easy to get excited whenever you're starting something off new, right? We've probably all done that. We start a new hobby or new something. We're all excited for like two days, and then, eh, I'm done with that, okay? And it's easy early on our faith to be excited, you know? Not that we're always excited, but it's just easier. But I tell you, the, the Christian road of discipleship, it's a long road, right? It's a marathon, so we're off sprinting and SSI and we're feeling, whoo, but it's a marathon, you know, and the older and older you get, the more you realize it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so while I get excited here and I am excited, I'll tell you what, what really gets me pumped up, what really gets me excited. I get excited when I see alum come back. Some of you are here. Five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years out, you come back and you're serving Jesus. And you're pumped, and you're bearing fruit, and you're doing it, and you're grinding through, you know, the kids and the job and this and that, and you're still living faithful to Jesus. That gets me pumped up. You guys get me pumped up, but you come back in 10, 15, 20 years, I'll really get pumped up (laughs) when I hear the great stories of what God's doing. And I've been here, you know, I've been here for two and a half decades serving on staff. That's a, that's a Lower number, say two and a half. Dang it. <laughs> All right? And I've, I've seen lots of students come through here. And I've seen those who go out, and when they come back as alum, and they're just, they're just 
doing great stuff for the Lord, bearing fruit. It's so awesome. But I've also seen plenty who have come and they end up either spiritually stagnant, um, just not going anywhere, or even abandoning their faith in Christ. You know, I was thinking of my groomsmen. Shelly and I will celebrate our 27th year of marriage this May. So, um, yeah, and I was thinking about our, my groomsmen, who are all CCFers, who are all trucking in faith for Jesus, excited when they are here. And I think about them now, and some of them are, they're still doing it. They're loving Jesus, they're faithful, they're fruitful, and some of them are not. And it's sad. And I realize that that's the reality, though. And so I, tonight I want to ask you, what, what, as we start a new series, what's the difference? What, what makes those who can go the distance and those who, who can't? And I think there's a lot of answers to that. Um, but the one I want to suggest for us tonight is that the big difference is whether right now in this time of excitement, your faith can begin to grow roots. It can become rooted. Not just an emotional hype, woo which is okay, but grow some roots. And that's what we're going to be about. Our vision as your pastors, is to see you grow roots. There's, a, there's a, 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 a parable that Jesus tells, parable of the sower, and he has, in that, he has this line. I want us to throw, throw that up there. From Matthew 13, Jesus says this, Some hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Woohoo! <laughs> but since they have no root, everybody say no root. No. There you go. They have no root. They last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So our vision on staff as pastors and as interns and small group leaders is to help us all become rooted. So that when you come back in 5, 15, 20, 30 years, you can see us really get pumped. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, Brady will be 105, and <laughs> Jeff will be, I don't know, you know, 50-something, and I'll be somewhere in between there, and we'll all be pumped in our older kind of way, okay? So we're going to start a series in the book of uh, a New Testament book called Colossians, okay? And the series we're entitling it is called Rooted, Rooted, Okay? Your mission this week is find some roots and just look at them and go, mm, rooted, okay? So a key verse in this book that, I, that really sums up the book and I think sums up the series is in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And I just want to put that out there. It has that rooted phrase in there for us. So then, I think it's up there, yeah. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Continue to live in him rooted. And that, that picture, Jonathan Barbagallo, nice job on the picture there. We saw these, we were hiking uh, on our free day on Saturday in Georgia. And you can't really see, but th- those are roots coming down. The tree is way up in the corner there. And it was just these kind of canyons with these awesome roots. And so I said, we got to get a picture of that. So anyway, good job, Jonathan. We want to have roots. The NLT, uh, different version, puts it this way. Let your roots grow down into him, Jesus, and let your lives be built on him. And so the author of of the book of Colossians, which we'll meet in a bit, he's writing to these believers because he wants them to be rooted and fruited. 
fruitful, but rooted and fruited works better, okay? <laughs> so rooted and fruited, trees that have deep, good roots are much more likely to be healthy and bear a lot of fruit for many, many years. And that's our vision. So we're going to root ourselves in the book of Colossians to have, with the goal of having our faith more deeply rooted now. Let's grow the roots now so that we have a faith that will go the distance. So my encouragement is to read the book of Colossians on your own. It will take you 15 minutes. It is four chapters long. You can do this. You can do this. We believe in you, okay? So sit down. It's, it, read it in one setting. That's the best way. And try to read it out loud. Read it to your roommate as they're going to sleep. They'll love you. Okay? So let's, let's, we're going to do a little bit of backgrounding, and then we'll look at some of the opening verses, okay, uh, on this book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Colossians. It's kind of halfway there uh, in the New Testament, you know, page 1,455. I don't really know what page it's on, but... Um, or you can just, we'll have the, the words on the screen for you as well, okay? So Colossians is found in the New Testament. It's one of what are called the epistles, and the epistles just mean letters, okay? Uh, letters that were written by some of the early Christian leaders to some of the first Jesus followers in the first century AD. And so when we're reading letters, it's important to realize that these letters are usually written either to an individual or to a specific group of people, in a very specific context, usually a specific, you know, geographical, historical setting with real specific things going on, circumstances that uh, the author is addressing. And so we're going to, as we go tonight, as we go through the series, we're going to try to kind of pull back what's, what's going on in the actual setting in Colossians that will help us. So we'll try to wrestle with who are the Colossians, why are they getting a letter to them, uh, what are some of the challenges they're facing, and what in the world does that have to do with us some 2,000 years later? Okay, so let's start with the author. We're going to start right there, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. There's his, his Facebook profile picture right there. We, we got it for you, okay? I don't know. That's, that's how they thought Paul looked like, okay? Um, so it's written by Paul. Um, and if you're not familiar with Paul, which I don't want to assume people necessarily are, as we read Paul's story in the New Testament, we can find it in the book of Acts, we find out that he was a fierce opponent to Christianity. In fact, so much so that he would go from city to city to try to find Christians so he could throw them into jail. This was what he did for his hobby, I suppose. But now... Paul is a sold-out believer for Jesus. You can read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Um, and so now he's busy telling people about Jesus, who had mercy on him. We sang that song about mercy. Jesus had mercy on Paul. And now he's busy planting churches, which are communities of Jesus followers. And so that's what that word apostle, by the way, means. It's just one who goes out and shares the good news of Jesus and helps to establish communities of faith in him. So Paul... Uh, himself now, as we read in the letter, he's probably, uh, sounds like he's in, under house arrest. It talks about his chains at some point in the letter, um, which may mean he was just chained to a prison guard, could, had a little bit of freedom, people could come and go, but he definitely could not leave the city, or probably even the house he was at. So Paul's writing this letter, and he mentions Timothy, who is uh, his, uh, the guy he mentored and a faithful companion of him. Okay, so that's our author. Then we go to who's 
receiving this, and so the next uh, verse, the next slide, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? So this letter is written to a group of young Jesus followers in the city of Colossians, or Colossae, they're called Colossians, um, probably in the year 60 to 61 AD. Okay? So just a few decades after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we read in the opening chapter, we'll find out that these believers heard about Jesus from one of Paul's co-workers named Epaphras. He can practice all these great names, Epaphras. And he went on to kind of establish the church there in Colossae and then some other churches kind of in the area around Colossae. Okay? So Epaphras has come to Paul and has given Paul the report. Remember, Paul's in house arrest. He can't go visit. So Epaphras comes to, to Paul and tells him, gives him a report of what's going on in this, this group of believers in the city of Colossae. And so Paul, having heard this, is now going to write a letter in response to what Epaphras has shared. Okay, so we kind of got, what's, got some of our key players here. I didn't have pictures of Epaphras. We, I guess we just have to imagine that, okay? Um, so as we read the opening lines of the letter, we're going to look at these opening verses we're going to get a sense that Paul's pretty excited about what he hears when he hears this good report from Epaphras. So let's, let's go to the next slide, and we'll see the verses there. And just notice how excited he is, okay, and how thankful he is. So we read this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So Paul is thankful for what he hears. And by the way, you know, when when the staff, we get together and we pray regularly and we talk about you. We gossip really good things about you. And we are often so encouraged and so thankful for you. So while Paul is kind of doing his shout-outs to these Colossian believers, I, I do want you to hear from us that we are thankful for you. You guys bless us. We're encouraged by what we see going on in your life. So Paul's pretty stoked. He's pumped. Good stuff going on. So notice what he points out. He says he's heard about their faith in Jesus. He's heard about their love for all of God's people and about the hope that they have in the future that God has in store for them. Faith, hope, and love. Now, if you've read any other parts of the New Testament, you'll realize that Paul likes these, these kind of trinity of virtues, faith, hope, and love. They will appear in some of his other letters. We'll find it in 1 Corinthians 13 and in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians as well. For Paul... These are some pretty big things you got to get yourself starting to grow deep in. Is faith, hope, and love. That all Christians at all times should have these things growing in them. There's a, a quote from a historian and theologian, N.T. Wright, and he says this about these three things, faith, hope, and love. He says this, there are three main Features of Christian living. So if you want to boil it down, because we like to boil it down, get it simple. The faith, which reaches out to grasp what God offers in Jesus Christ. The love that binds the community together. And the hope that eagerly looks forward to the time when God completes what he began in Jesus. 
faith and love and hope. So we get Paul, this opening affirmation to the Colossian believers, we actually get a snapshot of what it means to be a rooted Christian. It is to be somebody who is seeing faith, hope, and love grow in them. And so I think, you know, as the Spirit inspires Paul to write this letter, the Holy Spirit knows that we're going to be eavesdropping in on this, you know, this letter being read to them, written to them. And I think we're invited to just examine ourselves in these arenas as we think about, am I a rooted person in Christ? Where am I with faith and hope and love? So I just want us to pause because I think the text invites us to just reflect on that in our own life. So where am I at with faith? And not just faith in kind of a general abstract sense, you know, like, well, you got to have faith. You've just got to have some faith. But specifically faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what Paul is affirming. So tonight, as you sit here, ask yourself, do I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I just kind of here vicariously experiencing the warmth of other people's faith? Does the faith, the fire of faith, is it an internal reality in my life? Or do I just like hanging around those who I can sense the faith and something in them? Over the years, you know, lots of people come in and out here at CCF. And I've known a lot of people who came here, but they didn't actually know Jesus firsthand. They just liked hanging out with other people who knew him. But a rooted faith is never a second-hand faith, right? It's never a second-hand faith. It's always a first-hand experience. So my encouragement, if you've been in our community for a while, and you kind of like it, kind of liking these Jesus people a little weird at times, but, but they're, yeah, you're kind of feeling them, you know? I, I'd encourage you in this quarter, in this series, even tonight, Let's root faith. Let's make a, a, a line and say, I'm going to grow some, some, some roots of faith. I'm going to embrace Christ. And if you're just coming for the first time, then we're so glad you're here. We just welcome you to explore Jesus. He'll change your life. He's changed our life. Yes? Did I get an amen? For, okay. So where am I at with faith? Where am I at with love? Because he affirms their love. So is my faith affecting the way I love people? My everyday relationships. And notice he says, especially towards t- the people of God. He starts there. Not even with the, you know, those who don't know Jesus. Right here. How am I doing it actively loving God's people? Even when they're difficult to love. Right? We are a difficult people to love. Ask my wife. I'm difficult to love sometimes. I'm just not always the nicest person. I believe that God specifically puts people into our lives so that we can more, be more deeply rooted in a love that is greater than our own capacity to love. Right? Maybe in your core. Maybe in your dorm room. Maybe on your SSI team. Maybe you're encountering people that are just challenging to love. A rooted faith is a faith that grows in love. You have to, right now, there's probably some faces coming to your mind. Don't say them out loud. 
of who those people are. I want you instead of every time you think of them to say, God, thank you for that person. You are helping root me in love. You're helping me to grow deep roots in love. You're helping me to, to be rooted in a love that's greater than my capacity to love. Right? We need those people. Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, what is that? Even pagans do that. No, you love those who are hard to love. And then you'll be like my father in heaven. Okay? So how are we doing in love and loving? And then how about hope? It talks about the hope, the hope of the future that God has in store for God's people. So my question is deep down, what is your, what, what is your hope? What do you hope for? What's the vision of your future that circles and dances in your head? Is it, is it the American dream and the nice paycheck and the nice benefits and the nice big trips and all that good stuff, fame, influence? Or is it a vision that's driven by God, by his kingdom, by seeing a broken world rescued, redeemed, and restored? What, what is your hope? What gets you excited when you think about the future? And then what do you think about is the, the hope and the answer for the world's problems or for your own problems? The world would say, well, it's science, it's technology, it's, you know, ultimate human goodwill. It's getting the right politician in, getting the right education. But Jesus says that he's the hope of the world. That it's his cross, his resurrection. It's the Spirit's activity in the world and in our lives as he makes a new community of believers. That bear the fruit of truth and righteousness and justice. So my question is, what are you hoping in? To be rooted in Christ means to have a hope in what he's doing in the world and what he's planning for the future. So if we're going to be rooted as Christians and have a faith that endures or goes a distance then we have to plant ourselves firmly in real faith, real love, real hope. And here's something that's cool. Here's something that I think is cool. When Christians and Christian community are full of authentic people, not perfect people, but a, a, people who authentically have faith in Jesus, love for each other, and hope for what God's doing in the world, the gospel spreads. It grows. It's happening here in our midst, Right? People are coming to faith, not just on that side, but right here. Here's how Paul says it. He puts it, uh, uh, and it's on the next slide. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So a rooted faith is a fruited faith. And a fruited faith is a contagious faith. That is hard to say. Say that five times. No, you don't really have to, but a rooted faith is a fruited faith, meaning it has fruit. And a fruited faith is a contagious faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so as we are rooted in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our lives. And when people see the fruit of the Spirit genuinely, man, they just, I want to be, I want to, I want that. I want that. And it opens the door for people being open to Christ and receiving him. So again, I said, I'm just so encouraged by all y'all. I learned that down in Georgia. All y'all. <laughs> Come on. Right? Okay? So we're doing it. The Lord's doing good stuff. It's, it, it's growing. 
But let's press in and, and sink deep roots in these areas. Faith, hope, and love. Okay? All right. So, now, so these believers are off to a great start, right? And Paul is pumped. There's so much to be thankful. But they are young. This is a young group of believers. This journey has just begun for these Colossian believers, which I think is probably true for many of us here. You know, you are all fairly young. I think I'd say for a 52-year-old man to say that, okay, that you're all fairly young. And most of you haven't actively pursued Christ, walked with Jesus for, for a very long time, relatively speaking, okay? Maybe a few years, a few quarters, some of you just a few weeks or months, which is awesome. We just celebrate that with you. God is awesome that he's done that in you. But because of this, and just like these Colossian believers, youthfulness makes us vulnerable. Just like a young plant, right? The roots aren't very deep, and it doesn't take a whole lot to uproot a young plant. Much harder to uproot, you know, a 40-year-old oak tree than a four-week-old little sprout coming up, okay? And so it's because of this possibility that Paul is writing to these believers, Now, there's other things he's going to instruct them in, but this is a big thing. He's going to address some real threats in this letter that could possibly uproot them, keep them from being rooted. Okay? And and, and through this series, we'll talk, you know, we'll talk a bit more specifically, but I'll mention some of it now. But let's go back and do a little bit more backgrounding, okay? So, because it'll help us understand a bit of the nature of the threats. So, Colossae is our city where these these people live. And we got a map there for you. Uh, it's what is known, was known, it was known as Asia Minor. We call it Turkey now, okay? Um, and it sat at a criti- critical crossroads in what was called the Lycus River Valley. And so there's a north-south road going through. Think of it like I-5. And an east-west road going through of it. Think of it like I-90. And bam, we're in Seattle, right? Something like that, okay? It was kind of a major place where people would travel and move, uh, you know, on their journeys to different places throughout Asia Minor. And because of this, there was, there was kind of this, a lot of different ideas and beliefs about what was real and true, different spiritual, spiritualities going on, okay? And I thought about that, and I thought, that sounds a lot like Western, actually, about universities and Western, right? Lots of people coming from all over the place, you know, from Kent. I don't know why I pick on Kent. I just love to pick on Kent. It's just something about Kent. I just, ah! It has that train going right through you. I don't know. So, uh, or from Ellensburg or Spokane, you know, from the crossroads, right? People from all over with a whole bunch of different backgrounds, ideas, senses of, of, of what's right, what matters, what, what is true, what isn't kind of a crossroads situation. And the Colossians were discovering that a lot of these ideas were not really meshing super well with their newfound faith in Jesus. And maybe you sense that here when you're here at Western as well. Some of these ideas that didn't seem to mesh so well were, for example, there was these old pagan notions uh, in the culture that believed that the universe was governed by unpredictable spirits, demigods, angelic beings, superhero kind of, you know, spiritual entities. And to get on their good side, you wanted to be on their good side because they could really mess with you, that was the idea, then you would try to have 
special encounters with them, kind of spiritual, go into trances and have these kind of ecstasy experiences with them. And then they might give you a little tidbit of wisdom or knowledge, and that would give you the upper advantage from your neighbors. And so, so the idea of wisdom and knowledge and understanding was a big thing in Colossae. That's what these, these demigods would give you. And we'll notice that Paul will use those very words as he talks to the Colossians and as he prays for them. But he's going to say, you know what? They're, they're only found in Jesus. And so he's going to start to address some of the, the context they're in. In addition to that, you have a, a Jewish contingent of folks in Colossae. Um, and he had a, a form of Jew, Jewish spirituality that really emphasized religious festivals, certain observance, observance of certain days, food laws, kind of external things. And that was a big deal. And we'll see that Paul will address that later in this, uh, in this letter as well. And then, of course, there's Jesus who's popped on the scene. Hey, here he is. Okay. And these believers have come to experience Christ. But in the midst of that, there's this, all this other stuff going on. And this was threatening to uproot these young believers. Because it was a popular thing back then, as is now, is to um, mix together these ideas into kind of an eclectic personal spiritual stew. Okay? Theologians have a fancy term for it. So it's called the Colossian heresy. So if you just want to throw that out. Today, tonight, we learned about the Colossian heresy. And Jeff will probably take this more, talk more about that later on. But just in, in, in brief, it's this, a smorgasbord spirituality. Now, do you know, by the way, that, that picture, that's, it's, you can't see it very good. It's all vegetables. It's an all-vegetable smorgasbord. I thought that was so appropriate for Western. <laughs> it's all vegetables, supposedly. That's what it said, anyway. But, okay. It has nothing to do, really, with the sermon. I just thought that was kind of a fun thing, Okay. Um, so you have this smorgasbord spirituality where people would pick and choose bits and pieces from the various spiritualities to suit their fancy. So, you know, we might call this the Jesus and approach. So for the Colossians, it was Jesus and, oh, let's do some Jewish food laws. Jesus and, oh, let's have some spiritual encounters with this angel. Jesus and, let's get some hidden esoteric wisdom and knowledge. And, doesn't that sound like today? Where we just pick and choose our truth, right? Kind of make our own spiritual stew. For example, you know, we might encounter people who say, Oh man, I love Jesus. I love this. When he talks about loving those around us. And he's a champion of the poor and of the marginalized, which he is. Hallelujah. He absolutely is. But then... When he starts talking about his teachings about what's appropriate and inappropriate expressions of my sexuality, nah, forget it. Nope, out of date, not interested. So I'll just take that part. I'll leave that part out and I'll go with the you know, triumphing you know, for the poor. Or some will say, Jesus, he's such a loving guy, a, a moral teacher, spiritual guru, um, says a lot of good things, love your neighbors yourself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But boy, you know, when he comes to this kind of religious exclusivity about himself being the only way to God, and the claims he made about his divinity, and that he alone could bring us real life, no way, he just missed it. So I'm just going to put that aside, and I'll just go with this part of Jesus. And we could go on, you know, just like the Colossians. 
We're a lot like that. It's Jesus and. I'll take some Jesus, but I want a little bit of a side of Eastern mysticism. I'll take Jesus and a, you know, a little bit of secular relativism because that's convenient. And, oh, and then I'm going to top it off with some good old you know, American hedonism and materialism because that's fun. Boom. Good. I'm ready to check out. Oh, credit card. There you go. I'm going to use my points. Okay, so. <laughs> right? That was the approach in Colossae. That is still the approach. It's popular, but it is deadly. And Paul knew it, and he saw that this, this approach would be deadly for these unbelievers. It would uproot them, and it will uproot our faith. And so Paul writes to them, and the Spirit speaks to us in this letter. So he's going to write this letter, but before he's going to write this letter, before he's going to launch into kind of his teaching instruction, He's going to pray for them. I think that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? Before we're going to attempt to teach others, correct them, challenge them, we should pray for them. Right, staff? Right, interns? Right, core leaders? Right, any of us who dare to want to lead others? Is that we would pray. Now, that's the first response. So he affirms, he says what's going on, that's good, and then he's going to pray. And so in the following verses, which we'll look at in just a minute, he's going to pray for the things he's going to talk to them about later on in the letter. He's going to pray that they would know that Jesus is the real source of wisdom and knowledge. He's going to pray that they'd be able to know what God's will is so they could lead a life that is rooted and fruited. He's going to pray that their faith would be centered on God's power, not not some pretenders. He's going to pray that they would believe that God is the only one who can bring people out of darkness and out of bondage and into freedom and light, which I think we'd say that's our story, many of us here. He's going to pray that they understand this is only possible because of what God has done in Jesus the son that God loves. So I want us, we're going we're gonna to look at those verses and we're going to get ready to conclude. But so we'll put that, that, it's a fairly long text, so you can go to the next slide. And I'm going to read it. And then we're going to do something with this, okay? So, so Paul's affirmed their faith, their hope, and their love. They show the signs of being rooted. Now he's going to pray for the things that he's concerned about might start to un- uproot them. But he's going to pray about it. So this is how he prays. For the Colossians, and I believe this is how the Spirit intercedes and Jesus prays for us. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, and you can put CCF or you can put your name in there, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Think of the tree, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. There's the hope, there's the future. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 
in whom we all have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we'll leave that up there. We've, so we've begun the journey in Colossians with the goal of being rooted in Jesus Christ, being rooted in the wisdom that he gives, being rooted in the power and the strength of his spirit, being rooted in the knowledge of his will so that it will go well with us in our life, being rooted in a life of thanksgiving or, and rooted in a life that's centered on the cross. So I'm going to we'll invite the worship team to come up, and they're just going to play quietly for a minute, and we're going to leave this prayer up. And I want you to read through it again. And then we just, just ask the Spirit to highlight a word or a phrase, some part of that prayer that all of a sudden you feel like the Spirit's saying, that's for you. That's what I want to do in you. Now, there's a lot of things he may want to do in you this quarter, but that's something. I, I was praying through this this morning, and, and boy, you know, the Lord, bam, I, I knew exactly what the phrase and what the line was for me. And it becomes very helpful when you hear the Lord say, that's where I'm wanting to make you deeper and root you more firmly. And so let the Spirit kind of put that on your heart and begin to just to meditate and pray on that. We'll just take a couple minutes as the worship team will pray. And then I'll come back and I'm just going to invite a few of us to pray uh, for, for our whole community in response uh, of this prayer and the beginning of this letter. Okay, so let's just take a minute and look at the, the prayer.